All right. It looks like we are on the air. Uh, Sesh, are you ready? I hope. <laughs> Maria, are you ready? As I'll ever be. All right, then. I think we're ready to start then in five, four, three, two, one. Hello, all you spry tubers, twitchers, and pod people out there. Welcome to the Could You Do It Better podcast. We're filmmaker, gamer extraordinaire, and the behind-the-scenes awesomeness known as Sesh, and the writing and directing sensation known as Maria. Discuss popular television shows and movies and answer the always controversial question of, could you do it better? Today, we will be discussing episode two of season one of Ryan Condal's House of the Dragon television series, based upon George R.R. R. Martin's novel, Fire and Blood. And as for me, I'm Jonathan the Intern and unlike our two experts, have no industry experience whatsoever. In other words, I'm much like King Viserys, a completely ineffective leader who constantly gets told how much he sucks at his job by everyone around him, and who can only respond with, eh, yeah, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> at least I have my miniatures to play with. I'm a dragon. Rawr. And now, to Sesh and Maria. Woo! <laughs> You, you know what I forgot? I, uh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot the miniature <laughs> dragon, which uh, is sitting off screen somewhere. So um, always running without a hitch. Uh, blame the intern again for the prop department. I feel good because something had to go wrong. <laughs> everything that went wrong, everything else would be great. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're back again for episode two of this show, which is uh, great because episode uh, uh, one was a bit scary. Uh, so <laughs> in any case, much better this week, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, uh, basically, uh, spoiler warning. Um, obviously, in this episode, we will be doing a detailed recap of episode two, the House of the Dragon TV series that will contain spoilers throughout. So, if you haven't watched this episode and don't want to hear spoilers before you do, please feel free to put us on mute as you watch the episode, then re-watch our show afterwards, because that's how you double view counts. And now, on to the recap, as mandated by our legal department. We start this episode off with a character introduction via recap in The Crab Feeder. Well, perhaps if he had a cooler nickname, he would have survived the cutting room floor of episode one. Release that sexy, sexy intro, House of the Dragon. The intro has the same music and is similar in style to Game of Thrones, but this time it utilizes rivers of blood. Looks like somebody watched that awesome Diablo 4 trailer. Time skip six months. Man, in two episodes, this series already has more time jumps than in the entire Back to the Future trilogy. We begin the episode in earnest, though, with Corliss having a major crab infestation problem that he wants to eradicate. King Vanilla says, don't worry, brah, they'll probably clear up in a few years or so, naturally. Rhaenyra suggests burning them with fire, which Corliss is game for, but she gets shunned either because she's a woman or everyone else there loves crabs. Not sure. Jump ahead to Hot D bringing the Bachelorette to HBO. But who will Rhaenyra give the rose to, to be her Kingsguard? Why, it's easy on the eye, Sir Kristen. Just goes to show, ask a lady for a favor and wind up forfeiting your life to her daddy. Move ahead <laughs> to the king, showing the hand's teenage daughter his miniature collection. Things are getting serious. <laughs> Only another four or five years, several Comic-Cons, terrible boyfriends, and a 2 a.m. drunken, tear-filled phone call to go before he makes his move. <laughs> <laughs> on to Girl Talk by the Fire, where we learn that one should always teach your teen bestie religion before doing her dad and becoming her new mommy. Corliss then seeks a private audience with the king to tell him that he really sucks at this, well, being king thing, and to marry his daughter and get to baby making. Time to get strunk. King says, eh, You're not wrong, Corliss, you're not wrong. Daddy daughter dinner time. Apparently, conversations between a panty-waist father and an angry teenage daughter are the same in every universe in alternate reality. Man, this king needs to invest in some bubble wrap. The guy isn't even proficient at sitting in a chair. 
Enter Coralus's daughter, Lena. And, well, talk about your child, brides. This one may still have her baby teeth. And now to dinner with his daughter's bestie, where she shows him her dragon. Oh, yeah, she's in. Meanwhile, Damon has secured a wife, a dragon, a throne, and a possible heir all in the past six months. Whereas the king has open oozing sores, a finger hanging on by a maggot-laden thread, and a memorable choice between an infant and his daughter's D&D partner. Safe to say, Damon is winning this breakup. The Hand offers to tell Damon in person, You're a bad boy. Give me your dragon. Which just so happens to be exactly the same thing he instructs his daughter to tell the king. Heyo! The Hand and Damon have their sword measuring contest interrupted by a dragon staring contest. Rhaenyra swoops in and tells her uncle to stop being a baby and just kill her already. Damon is like, fine, you win this one. Does Damon lose every duel he gets into? Because he's 0 for 2 right now. It's not looking good for him. Damon skulks off and has a lover's quarrel with his not actually pregnant fiance. You know, meeting the family for the first time can indeed be harrowing, especially when they're told you're a prostitute, you're pregnant, and they're all invited to the shotgun wedding. <laughs> Meanwhile, King gets actual good advice from a councilman. Good on you, Lord Strong, Master of Law, for being the first likable character on this show. So, two more episodes before you die, I take it? King's teenage daughter sneaks out for several months. King confused, irritated, and not worried about her welfare. You know, maybe if you weren't having every meal with her best friend, you might realize your daughter was missing. Just a thought. But back to daddy-daughter dinner time, where Rhaenyra gives dad permission to marry a child. Unfortunately, the king gets confused and marries the wrong child. <laughs> Shockingly, Rhaenyra is somehow unhappy that her best friend will now be her mom and storms off. Corvus similarly unhappy, takes his ships and goes home where he calls over angry Doctor Who for an appointment to help him take care of his crabs once and for all. Wait, is that Grayscale? New ending song. Much appreciated. Musical even. This episode was brought to you by Hose Crab Shack. Did your latest swashbuckling dalliance make you feel permanently beached? Are you depressed, ashamed, and embarrassed by the countless crabs that are infesting your shores? Well, here at Hose Crab Shack, with our warm, caring hands and patented lemon butter herbal oil salve, there is no size or amount of crabs that we can't handle to get you back to swordplay on the high seas. That's Hose Crab Shack. Get hose for your bros. Back to you, Sasha Maria. Yar. <laughs> oh, boy. That was a recap. That was that definitely. Was a recap. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we're sponsored for this. It's, it's amazing. I don't know how they allow me to do this stuff, but you know, it's great. It's great. Well, let's get straight into the, uh, the nitty gritty of this episode. Um, do the stakes of this episode feel as dramatic as they should? And if not, how could the episode have set up the drama for bigger tension and payoff? Uh, Sesh, did you want to get us started? Sure, I'll start us off. So, here I feel like the stakes do not feel dramatic yet. Uh, they feel kind of overused and unoriginal. Um, the plots of you need more heirs and fight the patriarchy, which I'm always behind, but it, it is very used. Um, the stories can be well done, but... In the world of Game of Thrones, there's always been so many interesting and new things happening where we don't really need to rely on those old overused stories so much. Um, like, did anyone think even for a second that Rhaenyra wasn't going to take her dragon and see Damon? And again, I'm predicting he's more of a goodie than a baddie, but even if you believe all the gossip about him, do you think for a second he's going to harm Ray Ray? That's what I'm calling her from now on. Ray Ray. Um, <laughs> like, it just, it didn't feel like there were any stakes in this episode at all. Um, but it did feel like they finally accomplished some setup for later on. Yeah, that, you know, you make some good points. Um, I agree with you on the, the lack of, uh, tension and, and that it was very, um, done before 
pop. I feel like the big issue of keeping the king, having enough heirs, and keeping his one heir alive, and all the worry about him remarrying feels lackluster. Um, mainly because we aren't seeing any other viewpoints. If there was two or three other houses with power-hungry boys and their storyline, that would be more interesting, especially if Ray Ray had a tense relationship with those peers. It would drive our desire to root for her as the future queen. Um, granted, Corliss and Rhaenyra's uh, serve as that a little bit, but they're still in the family and don't really show much friction outside of the practical issues they're having with crabs. Um, I think... I think the discussion between uh, Ray Ray and Rhaenyra and Rhaenyras, or uh, Rhaenys, Rhaenys, Rhaenys. Rhaenys should have had more attention than it did. I think maybe too much was said that is already known and it washes out the tension. So my thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd say really not quite yet. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here a little bit. I think there was definite intrigue um, and a good setup for the ensuing battle. Uh, which was a major, major, major improvement from episode one. Uh, but it did still feel a little too quick and forced for my liking. I think the storyline is one that could have been drawn out across a few more episodes to ratchet up that tension. For example, was it necessary to jump six months ahead at the start of the episode? Or perhaps this episode could have been broken up into two or three episodes covering that entire six-month period where it slowly revealed each of the major players' intentions, and you turn that slow simmer into a boil. The best example of this I can give is really show the king struggling to make decisions while frustration grows around him in his inner circle, only to succumb to impetuous choices that basically infuriates everyone. Mm -hmm. The storyline there is dramatic and tension-filled. It just felt way too rushed to meet its uh, true potential for me. Yeah. Those are some good points. I mean, I, I do agree with the intrigue factor, that it did feel more intriguing this episode. So our next question is, what did you think the cinematography of this episode, uh, how did you think of it? Did you think it was good? How does it compare to Got? Um, uh, Sesh, would you like to start us out? Sure, I can start again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks great. I'm, I'm not really expecting to have many complaints of the technical side of the filmmaking here. Um, my screens might be too bright, but I was able to see the last shows, the long night episode, as well as I felt it was intended to be seen. So I had no complaints there somehow. Um, but uh, for this episode of this show, the best I can say that I would have liked a few more beats and scenes and close-ups for the, or not scenes, I'm sorry, um, just beats and close-ups for the confrontation on the bridge. This may be more of an editing thing, because they did have some close-ups. Um, they're really showcasing the big, pretty CGI landscapes. And they are well-designed and very pretty landscapes. But outside of establishing shots, at times I almost feel like we're losing the characters in it all. Hmm. Although maybe even a real close-up and whispered conversation would have been good to see for this confrontation on the bridge. Something that's like just between the family members that's not all showy and showboaty like the show that they were making it out to be. Because um, even though like Damon loves his brother, and again, there was no tension here. Because uh, again, he loves his brother, he's not going to do anything to him. I don't believe it. Um, his only real ally near the throne is actually Ray Ray. His brother's not really an ally to him. Like, he loves him, but he's definitely mad at him. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I thought that the cinematography was beautiful, uh, well thought out this episode. Um, I actually felt like that more time was taken on the characters, at least than last episode, and their physical reactions to their interactions, which made the characters and setting more interesting to me this time around. I, I do agree that they could have spent more, especially if they were thinking about like meaning and how to build character on another level. Yeah. Um, I got the feeling that the filmmakers didn't have as much pressure to pack as much into the episode so they could breathe a bit and add more artistry to the scenes. Um, I felt it was closer to God in this episode. My only complaint is I feel like the light overall was too diffuse in most of the scenes, like not counting Dragonstone, because um, that's supposed to be foggy and beautiful. It, it seemed like there were other scenes ha like at the Red Keep there was like too much fog machine or something going on because maybe and I, as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Maybe they're doing that because it's, we're supposed to feel like this is the past. 
and then maybe in the next episodes it'll be more present time and less foggy i don't know um but that was the only thing like i i wish it was that that people were sharper clearer wow i i really uh, feel like not an expert here uh, because you guys <laughs> both brought up uh uh great cinematic uh uh thoughts whereas i'm like oh dur, dur, it's great um so uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's really about it. Um, no, uh, so yeah, no. This show was what I was talking about the whole time. Like, I'm I'm still not sure what happened in that first episode, but this episode was a complete 180. You know, the cinematography at Dragonstone, especially um, with the wafting fog that apparently drifted over into other scenes um, that I didn't notice at all. Uh, Maybe it's just me. You know, the, the, the mountains. Uh, the standoff, you know, dragons, that was, that was peak Game of Thrones to me, you know, uh, honestly, if I were to compare it to an episode, I'd compare it to, uh, the hard home episode, um, you know, with the great, uh, the glacier, I'm like, uh, the army of basically, you know, the dead that were coming and marching mm-hmm. and I'm like chasing them to the sea and, you know, really iconic stuff, you know, and that, that scene was nominated for, for an Emmy and, you know, it was just absolutely perfect. Um, you know, we had dramatic changes in locations, I felt, that allowed each scene to have its own atmosphere and feel like its own, uh, unlike episode one, where everything just blended together, you know, and there was more focus on the costumes that showed absolutely stunning dragon embroidery. Um, something that was uh, neglected in episode one. And for somebody who, honestly, I don't pick up on costumes at all, like, really, that stood out to me. I'm like, wow, this is great. Why didn't they show more of this and better close-ups of this in the in the first episode? Um, you know, shots, they were long and flowing, uh, which I felt were far more fitting for this genre and storytelling uh, compared to those extreme fragmented and staccato cuts that occurred every few seconds in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, if episode one was an example of what shouldn't be done cinematically, for me, this felt like this is an example of what cinematography at its best looks like. And so I, I overall say, the, think kudos to, uh, to, to the director, uh, Greg, uh, Yaitanis, I think, um, cool. uh, yeah, he, uh, I, I thought he did a, a really great job. No complaints here. Nice. Nice. All right. So let's move on into uh, the next question is how was the acting in this episode? Are the characters more interesting to you? And Sesh, let's uh, begin with you again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> picking on Sesh today. dimensionally um the actors are doing great for that but again when you have you can only do so much when the writing is one-dimensional like it's really hard to overcome that and to make it into something that's actually great even if they're really good actors and even if they're doing like the best job they can that limits them um i want the characters to contemplate i want to have to guess what they're thinking just a little bit at least before they just Mm -hmm. say it all at the in the same scene or in the next scene. Like, there's no guessing about what they're thinking. Like, I don't even think they think, they just talk. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's annoyingly on the nose and only so much an actor can do with that. So they're doing great, but it's, they're, they're, you know, there's a lot of speed bumps in their way. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoyed the acting for the most part in this episode, especially from Damon and Renera. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was more subtle expression and time given to their reactions, I felt. Uh, like some of the scenes were a bit awkward, especially with Damon and his and his soon-to-be wife. Um, I think some of the lines, like you said, aren't genuine. Like, uh, Mysterious lines didn't sound like what she would say in that situation. It felt more like they were said for the plot more than watching their genuine relationship and interaction. Uh, yeah. So yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you both <clears throat> absolutely uh, nailed it. I mean, I, I might be a bit more bristling with, with, with this part of it. 
you know, I, I thought the characters were okay. Um, you know, but I, you know, if we wanted to talk from a character perspective, I think the show is still missing a couple performers, like Charles Dance, you know, Diana Rigg, Peter Dinklage, you know, that just steps in and absolutely commands the scene that they're in. Now, you know, I will say this, we have no idea, like, who these actors are or what they're capable of, because it does seem like they've been greatly handcuffed in a lot of ways by the script so far. Um, you know, for me, I thought uh, Steve Toussaint's uh, performance as Corliss, that one uh, stood out to me a little. I was, mm -hmm. I was happy with it. You know, I get the feeling his scenes are going to pop going forward if they allow him to emote, <laughs> um, you know, and as for, everyone else like it, it just was a really mixed bag you know i especially if there's one character i really want more emotion out of it's king viserys because without it all his lines just fall flat yeah. you know in in fact yeah i want more emotion out of most of the characters as as most of them still haven't drawn me in as someone i actually have a vested interest in or who stands out to me you know, in a lot of ways, they they do just feel bland. And either the dialogue or how the actor portrays their character, that needs to be dialed up a bit to, to turn these scenes from, you know, the, the tepidness that they are to, to warm, at least, to, let alone hot, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to end with, with one final note. Whoever told uh, Sonoya Mizuno to do that accent for Miseria needs to be sent to sit in a corner for a while. <laughs> I mean, if that accent is so important to the character, then cast someone who can do it, you know, naturally, like, and has it in their wheelhouse. Otherwise, just change it to an accent more in line with, with, with that actress's wheelhouse. I mean, yeah. that was rough to watch. You don't do that to an actor. Like, I mean, somebody somewhere had to say, you know, I really don't think this is this is this is good to go here <laughs> yeah there's this two for two good episodes is his talk with damon at the end and i was like okay that's where it's at you can yeah. go there <laughs> so uh as talking about accents and everything like that let's move into how did the dialogue hold up this episode uh let's begin with jonathan oh. <laughs> Expecting it. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, the, the dialogue, it was a lot better than, than in episode one, uh, which makes sense uh, as characters were actually given more specialized non-generic scenes. So I think that part is good. Um, that said, uh, the one thing that really stuck out to me this episode um, is that it seemed whenever there was a major plot point or emotional moment, it was a block of text of exposition or narration of the feeling, which just isn't necessary. And I think Sash brought this up yeah. earlier in the previous one, you know, if it's a major plot point, fine, just say the issue, then go to another character handling the new info. You know, you don't have to have one character explaining both the situation and all the adverse effects of it, just like I did right now. Don't do that, you know? And if it's emotion, uh, you know, like say Rhaenyra angry with her dad, let her show that anger with her face and performance, you know, not with her saying, I'm so angry. Okay, yeah, we got it. <laughs> you know, I'd be angry too. Yeah. Uh, same, same, same goes for Masseria. Um, and I'll go again, most importantly for King Viserys. Please unshackle Patty uh, Considine. Limit the expository dialogue and just unleash his emotions. It'll seem more realistic to the audience and also add depth to the scene and, and character. You know, if he goes ahead and instead of, say, responding to Corliss, uh, yeah, you got that right. I am sort of a dimwit, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, maybe show like some anger there, like some, some resentment because how much more would that make sense to the scene later on where he ends up spurning his daughter, yeah. you know, for, uh, Allison, like, like show something there. You can't have somebody go like, Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, uh, 
and then go to, no, I don't like you. Like, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Show something. Show the emotion. I, at this point, really don't think that it's the actors that are, <laughs> that are, that are holding back here. You know? Just, uh, anyway, sorry. I, I went on for way too long there. I need to not uh, be a suppository, clearly. <laughs> okay, All right. Um, Seth, would you like to go next? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is, that was the worst one for me not to go first after the last one. Oh, darn it. Oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I specifically cut myself short with the last one um, when we were talking about the acting because I saw that we were going to talk more about the writing. I do think that they that they definitely hinted at something like that in the sept scene, but I, again, we'll we'll find out. Yeah, we'll 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 find out. <laughs> so for me, I I felt like most in most scenes, too much was said and was on the nose, and it robbed the emotional tension from the scenes. Just like you guys were saying, the only interaction where they weren't being completely transparent uh, was for me was between Allison's and the King and also Allison's interactions with Rhaenyra, which I did find interesting because there is still a question of how much Allison even cares to be queen as opposed to really wanting to maintain a, a genuine friendship or maybe something more with Rhaenyra. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think out of everybody in terms of emotion, I think Allison tried showing the most emotion in the scenes like she genuinely tried um but it did it also seemed like the script like sort of handcuffed her again like like you know she can show visually like how you know unhappy she is with say her dad like forcing her on the king you know where she isn't like confirming like well you are my father you know it's like she doesn't even need to say that she can just like stare, stand there and just like you see the expression on her face and nod, mm-hmm. you know, and that that does even even more. So I think you're right. She she was trying. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next question, which is how would you have handled the issue with the crabs if you were king? And uh, let's see. Let's have you know what? I'll go first. I haven't gone <laughs> first yet. <laughs> <laughs> The only way a dragon king can, is my answer, light it on fire. 
Um, I, I think the king <laughs> suffers. I personally think if we're, tr- I'm trying to find depth in these characters. So I think <laughs> what they're trying to set up is that the king suffers from avoidance behavior. Okay. He's really afraid of confrontation. And I would honestly like to see an episode that explores why that is, you know, the only strategizing Maybe was he scared by a dragon when he was a baby, you know, and they're like, ah, no, don't be angry. I don't know. Then why all of his decisions? <laughs> like he's setting up some confrontation. Like, oh yeah, were you like friends with my daughter or something? Right? <laughs> but I think you're right too at the same time. <laughs> I mean, and that's because she really liked, she played with him and he's like, okay, she's my friend and I, I can't, I can marry her. <laughs> Um, yeah, they play board games together. I mean, I mean, of course. It's like, here's my dragon. Um, I'm sorry, we couldn't find your dragons. In the I, show. I, 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 I know. <laughs> but um, I would honestly, yeah, the I, I think the only strategizing he does is figuring out how to avoid fighting uh, in war or any sort of uncomfortable situation, even though he, he ends up doing it anyway. Um, it doesn't make sense that he's dragging his feet so much with the crabs issue, especially when he has Corvus right there wanting to do something about it. All he has to say is like, yeah, sure, go do it. Like, there's not much. If he's like, oh, I might make somebody mad somewhere. I don't know. He's got, he's got some issues. Yeah, he needs therapy. Yes. King, king, <laughs> king therapy. therapy. Yeah. All right. Um, Sash, would you like to go next? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, I'm ending mine very similar to yours. Um, mm. so. <laughs> uh, this would have been a, a great time to include his brother Damon, give him the order to not engage and to warn before causing any damage, and send him off on a dragon ride and escort the ships. Yeah. Nobody's going to cause trouble with a dragon ready to eat and burn everyone. Besides him and Ray Ray, I'm not sure who any of the dragon riders are, if any, if they exist, then maybe send one of them instead. But, like, I mean, I'm not going to not lie. This episode has made it that maybe the king is just being the worst at possibly every single action he takes. Every single decision he makes, it's leading to the worst outcome possible. Like, this guy is already just so dead with all the dumb choices he's making. (laughs) This is way beyond, like, Ned Stark even. Like, come on. Yeah, no, I, I'm i in complete agreement there. I'd almost argue why even have the character? Like, because... Oh, I, just no game. You know, I... Well, I... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just saying... Yeah, they're like, they're like, okay, don't act, don't show emotion. You're just gonna say, like, the stupidest decision that you can make... That's what you're going to do, and then uh, we're going to kill you. Probably uh, due to some, you know, oozing sore. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, all these bad choices, he's just going to die from an infection and not even have any repercussions on his own. He's not going to face any of the repercussions. He's just going to die from an infection. (laughs) He's so bad, and it's going to happen on the last episode. How does that compare to Ned Stark? <laughs> well, well, we never know. He might accidentally behead himself on the throne. You know, he walks up there, he trips, and it's like, oh, well. Oh, that'd be so sad. That's Viserys for you. So I want to go in a different direction, actually, okay. than both of you, because, um, you know, I I don't necessarily agree that attacking is the right thing here. Oh, I know, I know. I yeah. Said escort. Escort. Oh, yeah. escort. If you're escorting a dragon. <laughs> and... If anybody else wants to mess with the ship, uh, it's obvious what's going to happen to them. So I'm pretty sure they will not mess with the ship with the dragon there. That's why you got the dragons. Fair. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, based off of how they cast Damon as a maniac in episode one, it's just like, yo, go deal with this problem. Okay. <laughs> so, um, no, but but I'll, I'll say an actual answer here, which is, you know, when you have a rogue pirate group that is attacking and pillaging your ships and cutting off your primary shipping lanes, uh, Corliss is absolutely correct that you have to deal with it immediately and deal with it harshly. 
But that said, I absolutely disagree with Corliss and Rhaenyra's uh, argument to invade the free cities to deal with this. Instead, I think you deal with it politically. You send an official missive to the free cities telling them to deal with this crab feeder and his outfit of pirates. Say that you respect their authority over the free cities. And as such, you expect them to be able to take care of this problem within their own territory, and you have no desire to encroach on that. But you'll be forced to take action if none is taken by them. You know, you can offer them uh, that if this is a bigger problem than they're capable of handling, you'll lend support as part of a joint venture. However, you will hold them responsible for any losses occurred. You know, that said, you know, basically, in, in, in other words, just, just embarrass them into, into dealing with it uh, and see their true colors, whether they want to deal with it or not. You know, that said, my best guess would be that the crab feeder became as powerful as he is because his group is getting funded by either the free cities or someone powerful within King's Landing as a way of testing the strength of the king and his crown and strangling them financially. So mm-hmm. while the missive would be my official position and what I'd send out, I would be secretly sending out spies loyal to the crown to find out where their money is coming from and then absolutely make an example of whatever house or group that is funding them with the dragon fire. That's where you just show out of nowhere. You freaking obliterate their house, all of their holdings. And then if anybody says anything, it's like, it's like, yeah, they were trying to plunder the royal ships, you know, they were trying to cause problems for the empire. Sure. I recommend not doing that. <laughs> and you know, that, that'll end the problem. So that's, that's, that's how, how I would, uh, go ahead and deal with it that was that was really great some great Pretty thinking cool. yeah so our well, next uh, question is <laughs> uh could this plot have been told better without all the time skips um i will go first i suppose uh that is a tough unless somebody else wants to oh no no go ahead okay. you're on a roll <laughs> you're, right. you're ready to go so I think that's a tough one. If they started right after his wife's demise and still had the pressure to get the king married and Damon running was was running around stealing dragon eggs and house sitting, I think that would have upped the drama and pressure the king would be under. Uh, it's funny that you said that it should have been stretched out over a few episodes, which I think is another way of building the drama and probably would have made more sense than what I'm saying. But I'll just say it anyway. Along with the crabs, I feel like the shortened time to put out all of these fires makes some sense mm. and would have made uh, for a more urgent feel in the storytelling. Um, I also feel like the shortened time would have forced more of the characters' personalities to show under pressure of the events. Uh, for example, the king under greater pressure would probably avoid even harder and get other people on the council angry, while his daughter would have had to step up more and make more choices leading to us getting to know her more. Um, I don't particularly think her choice to fly to her uncle and challenge him to kill her was particularly impressive because we already know they have a good relationship um, and there was no real risk there. I think that's something you guys mentioned, but it would have been shocking if someone from his side actually took a stab at her, but unlikely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Just saying. What? (laughs) Dragon escorts. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, for the most part, like that is one way to do it as well. Like, like I think we're both on the same wavelength. It's just different ways of, dealing with it you know which is you know key like there's multiple ways to go about fixing like a glaring problem and i think this is indeed that 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 glaring problem and so for me yeah no question uh stretching this out uh 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 would have the like like having the time skips in you know i think are incredibly problematic here because they are holding things back and granted i know that the premise of this show was to tell a specific story and as such will feature a timeline that corresponds to that story. But personally, I think all of these time skips is doing a severe disservice to the pacing of the show while also limiting the growth of tension as we talked about earlier. You know, seeing a king create frustration and division within his own inner circle 
through his own decision, followed by those impetuous choices, is best accomplished, in my opinion, over multiple episodes, almost like, you know, a dam slowly springing leaks until it finally bursts and all hell breaks loose. Um, well, yeah, you want to hit your story marks and plot points. I think there's much to gain seeing the faltering of an ineffective king while those around him vie for the power he is neglecting in ever increasingly aggressive fashions until just everything explodes. You know, quite frankly, in my opinion, this six months could have made for a solid season one storyline. In, in my opinion, with much intrigue and far more investment in the characters, you know, because you're spending more time with each of them. You're giving each of them more depth. You're understanding the king's motivations. You're understanding Damon's motivations, which I still have no, yeah. no clue. Like they, they write him as a maniac in episode one. And now in episode two, they, they make him like a petty brat, it's, I guess. It, it, it's like they're trying to make him mysterious without with but skipping the opportunities for the mystery yeah it's weird you know and and it just feels like the time skips combined with all of those uh uh large blocks of text of exposition you know they're simply there to push ahead uh and force the plot on the viewer um and you know for me i just can't help but feel this this rushes everything and hurts the overall uh the overall storyline just it's not very, very sensical to me in terms of, 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 of why they chose to go at it in this way, other than they're like, you know, say George R. R. Martin is like, Hey, I really want this scene covered. And I really want this scene covered. And, you know, the director is like, well, we weren't going to include them originally, but you know, if you say so, we'll, we'll, we'll put a couple episodes in for that. So. I, I don't know. I don't know what the thought process is there. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. If, you know, if, if they spread it out, like you were saying, then, then we could under, we could maybe understand some of the magic behind the crab man. Like they didn't really, they don't want to introduce him well, uh, or spend any time on him. And it would have been nice to, what was her name? Was it like, her name was like the red witch. You know how they kind of bring her in and it's very like, Oh, it's oh, her magic. Um, Melisandre. Melisandre. Yes. I wish they kind of did that with this guy because obviously he has some magic, but they're just kind of like, Oh, that's not a big deal. The big deal is like <laughs> everything else. And it's like, well, that could have been a great opportunity to make more intrigue in the show. Mm-hmm. Definitely missed opportunity. It's kind of weird. So for me, like I didn't even notice any of the time skips. I'm trying to think back to the moments you guys are talking about other than that it's been six months, but I'm not against that it's already been six months. Um, it feels exactly the same. There's definitely obviously no changes that have been made, but this was, you know, pointed out to our princess as well. So I'm, I'm happy it was called out. Um, <laughs> but when thinking about the plot of this episode and where we're at so far, I think of last episode and I really want this and that one to have just been combined. Like the plot is weirdly not dense in the things it's supposed to be setting up, like in the foreground and up front. Like almost all of their setup that we're seeing should be things happening like in the background of something else more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just not like there's just it, it all feels kind of small right now for the most part. Um like, if they did it right, they could have so much more than just, like, a fantasy story boilerplate going on here. Like, seeing something happen with, like, a full small arc would have been really nice. Um, it, it would have given a better sense of time. Like, maybe the first crab battle or Damon sending word of the wedding and then the throne people finding out. Um, it's just weird that it feels rushed and also so empty at the same time. Um like really one big main plot point happened here that had any consequences that might change anything else and everything else is just really insignificant. And I mean, the king chose his wife. That's going to have repercussions, but like everything else is kind of just very small and there could have just been something else bigger going on because we knew that was going to happen. I mean, we knew he was going to choose his wife and we knew who it was going to be. 
Yeah. There were some surprises. So the big plot point wasn't even a surprise, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very similar. That one thing is similar to the first episode. It's like, not, there was no surprise, really. Overall, um, how would you rate this show and would you continue watching? Um, sounds like you want to get started. Yeah, I was going to say maybe before we get there, just let's take a quick look if we have any questions from the audience oh, sure. that they want to uh, ask us. And we do. Okay. All right. We have one, which is, uh, oh boy, I should have blown that up in text. Uh, <laughs> what do you think was even the point of Damon telling the king that Missaria was pregnant uh, when she wasn't? Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I had that question myself. Um, well, um, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Oh, okay. Um, my, my guess is that he realizes that his brother is a kind of pushover. And so it's like, oh, look, I'm already going to have a kid. Oh, I guess maybe that kid could be the next heir instead of the girl. And I, that would be my best guess, is that he was kind of trying to push for some kind of, force his hand at some kind of approval because, like, he's just too weak to disapprove on his own like it's all just council people it's it's just he doesn't he doesn't do much in one direction or the other so i you know i was pretty sure he was very confident going into this challenge that it was going to be just a force of a challenge he he didn't feel at risk i mean i think that's even the the conversation with him and his yeah. soon-to-be bride maybe she's you know <laughs> um was that you know she saw the risk and she sees the risk of what he's doing he doesn't even see his brother as a threat. Yeah, I, I almost want to say that this is a writing issue more more than a character issue. Like, and and if I'm looking at it from a could you do it better standpoint, which apparently I'm supposed to do uh, because I'm employed here, I think, but not really. Uh, interns don't really work here full time, so. Um, and yet they do. Uh, but, um, uh, but I think that this makes sense if instead of giving like formal invitations to say a wedding, this is like a word of mouth thing, a rumor thing. You're passing rumors along to other houses. Mm. Oh, look, he's now taken over. Like you say he's taken over. Right. uh you know uh uh the keep oh uh look 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 at that he's already taken a wife they say she's six months pregnant and and all the soothsayers are saying they're going to be quadruplets you know <laughs> you know like four strong Boys. men you know unlike unlike his weak oh. you know brother and and they have dragon eggs that they just stepped in and took straight from you know, King's Landing, you know, to go ahead and lay with them. Like he is the true, you know, uh, true heir to the throne, the true perspective King. He already has an army of King's guards with him that go through the night slaughtering people. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot more sense to me why he do something like that. like that. But to just go ahead and send something to... Uh, to like, I'm inviting you to the wedding to me and my six month pregnant wife. Like, okay, that's pretty easy to to to, to prove. Yeah, you know, it like, I think if they actually followed through with that, like, if there was a wedding, if she were pregnant, like, yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't he tell her ahead of time? Like, she's got to find out while she's standing there. Yeah, that blew my mind. I was like, really? That's just really dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I know. If I was her in that circumstance, I'd be like, wait, I'm pregnant? <laughs> oh, do no. You, do you think he was doing it for to, like, I think that makes the most sense what you just said. But do you think maybe he was distra trying to distract everybody from some other weird thing he was doing? I don't That's know. So smart. Yeah, no, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, Sesh. Like, the way they wrote him in the first episode, which is just an, like, an absolute menace, like, like super angry, doesn't have any distinct emotion to anything, you know? Uh, and then to come up to this where he's just 
acting like, oh, I'm so angry with you, big brother. Like, that's what it came out as. Like, oh, I'm petty, so I'm taking your egg, you know, yeah. just to go ahead and get angry. Like, it comes off as he's a really dumb character. Like, that's what it comes yeah. off as. That's the thing I've, I've seen him do is, like, not even tell her, so she's not even in on it. Like, yeah. it's, it's very weird. But I, I still disagree. I don't think that he's been written, um, like, he's been written as, like, a hothead a bit, but not, like, somebody who has, like, a real temper. Again, like, with the uh, jousting he held back he didn't kill anyone game of thrones we've seen people go ahead and kill people especially people who embarrass them like in the series before so him holding back and not doing that i still don't it, it's also just rumors like everyone else just saying oh he's a menace he's terrible but in reality it hasn't really been shown to us a whole lot and he kind of mm -hmm. did get a little bit of a point with the first time we're introduced with him and he's slaughtering everyone they were all criminals he's a hothead and he's very uh he bleeds with a very firm hand but so far you i wouldn't say he's like just like anger driven yet you know yeah very power driven but not anger driven like there is a, a difference like i don't think he would have acted any different than tyrant lannister Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, uh, I mean, I think he would, you know, plead with a firm hand, but he kind of kind of has sense with some of the stuff that he's doing. Just this thing was a weird little plot. Like, I, I would have rather just seen the wedding. That would have been great. Like, them just have, like, the wedding, what's going on? Them going there yeah. and then fall out from, like, she's pregnant? Oh, my gosh. And then... You know, she was like, oh boy, too bad I can't actually get pregnant. Yeah, this isn't going to last long. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Tywin, he would have just walked into King's Landing. He would have said, brother, I'm the king now. See, I'm sitting in the throne um, and I'm putting you to bed. And oh, the brother... Yeah. And the, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and the brother would be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you have a point. And he'd be like, yeah, I, I do. You're deposed now. Go away. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true that's true all right uh so thank you for that question uh oh there was party poopa again that is uh that a second time in a row thank you uh very much we uh we uh we appreciate it all right so back to our final question of the night ratings how did you enjoy this episode and would you continue to watch uh, let's begin with Sesh. All right. Um, well, <laughs> I'm not sure on a number yet. Maybe five out of five. I'm, I'm going to talk through it and then see if Ooh. come back to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think between this episode and the last one, we're in way better shape moving forward. Um, I'm still interested to see where um, uh, Cyrilus and his wife, uh, the queen who never was, takes things. Um, I think we're potentially in the space for some great betrayal and the type of betrayal their new ally, Damon, may not actually approve of. So it's going to be a lot of fun conflict potentially. Um, plus now we finally have our cute guy, funny guy, Night Cole. So uh, yes, I would keep watching. I think there's a chance <laughs> summer. I'm very hesitant to expect wanting more than one season though at the moment. So I'm I'm going to come back around and say, yeah, five out of five for now. So we'll, we'll see. I, I think I'm dedicated to this one season so far. So, so you're giving, you're giving this an A, an A plus? Uh, five, oh, did I say five out of five? <laughs> uh, five out of ten. Oh, five out of ten. Okay. I misspoke. Um, just the only number because it was, I, you can't get past, it, it's just not past five. <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a five out of ten. All right, and, and good to know with uh, with with Kristen Cole, actor who's playing him. Uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, feel free to show up anytime. I keep my eye out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a cute funny. <laughs> All right. Um, for so for me, overall, I would say this episode was uh, starting to shape up. I, I still think there were places where it needs work to keep me riveted, but the beauty was there in the cinematography. 
the acting was good overall and the characters were starting to show up for me. Um, I would give the show a six out of 10. I'm going to keep watching in hopes it keeps improving. Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be the optimistic one. <laughs> I don't think this has ever happened on game of Thrones. This is, <laughs> this is, this is the, yeah, this is, this is, this is, this is fantastic. Um, won't be hated by our fan base as much this week. That's great. Um, this, um, I, yeah, I still will be. I know. Uh, this, um, this, uh, this episode for me was much, much, much better than episode one, which probably is why I think of this like extremely favorable to it because side by side comparison, I'm like, oh, this one's so good. Um, you know, I can't emphasize that part enough. Uh, for me, the cinematography was a solid nine and a half out of 10. Uh, and I do really mean that, you know, uh, while I think it'll fall just short, you know, I do think that it actually could be nominated for an Emmy just from that, uh, scene at, uh, at, at, uh, at, at Dragonstone alone. I mean, that was, a that was a beautiful scene. I thought it was cut quite well. Um, and I thought, uh, uh, you know, the lighting, everything with that was, was pretty perfect. Uh, you don't get that in a lot of shows. Um, I think it'll fall short, but uh, I, I really loved it. Um, and, you know, while I do think the show does still have improvements to be made, you know, especially uh, with regards to uh, the expository dialogue, you know, allowing characters to have greater emotional range, I, I can't help but feel more optimistic about this episode. Um, plus... No sex or graphic violence used this episode. Go figure. You know, um, uh, you know. I, I mean, I guess the crab, but that that had a point. <laughs> but but nothing for shock value. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, just kind of little nibblings, you know. Yeah. Nibble. <laughs> yeah. And some screaming while being eaten alive. Yeah. You know, not so bad. <laughs> that was screaming. I thought I thought it was like birds singing. Um, you know. I get confused often in this show. So, <laughs> um, in in any case, compared to uh, compared to the last episode, uh, I was very thankful for that. As I think everybody watching the show needed a reprieve after <laughs> after episode one. Uh, so, yeah, I am going to give this episode a solid B. That's right, a B. B as in boy. As in boy, wow. uh, maybe a. Maybe wow. maybe a 7.5 or 8. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Out of 10. I like the episode. Um, yeah. There's a lot more they can do with it. That That's for sure. And probably if I were to say, uh, pick it in, say this was an episode yet another like acclaimed show. You know, I, I always go back to Battlestar Galactica, but say like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, this this show is not getting a seven and a half or, <laughs> or eight out of ten. But, you know, I for like what, that. For this. For this, yeah. for this, I, I liked it. I'm like, I can see positive things happening out of this. Okay. And here's, here's hoping. That's very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So optimistic. Yeah. Did I earn a fan today? Anyone? <laughs> anywhere? No. People who like optimism. No, no. Yeah, that's that is nobody on that's this show. So sweet. So. <laughs> well, us three, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So with no other comments, uh, I think it's pretty much time for the outro then. Yeah, sounds good. All right. All Thank you so much for joining us this evening and uh, watching us till the very end. Uh, we do really appreciate, obviously, all the support, and uh, hopefully we brought you some intelligent conversation and uh, maybe some laughs tonight. I, I don't know, hopefully. Um, and uh, really, you know, it's, it's, it's your support at the end of the day that makes this, uh, uh, makes this worthless. Oh, worthless, yes. <laughs> it makes this worthless. Worth oh, it. Worth no. It. <laughs> Oh no. Brian Oh my gosh, do we need to cut that? Put the markers up. Uh, 
edit it out, green screen it out. <laughs> green screen it out. Yeah, yeah, we can do that, right? You guys, uh, you guys directed before. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bleep the whole thing. Just continued now. I don't know how I said that, but um, it's your support <laughs> that makes this worth it. You can you can cut that in, right? There you go, yeah, sure. I said sure. <laughs> Um, oh man. Uh, so if you like this show, uh, please like, share, subscribe, and heart. Um, and if you hated this show, especially because of what I just said, please make sure to like it twice, uh, because uh, that'll really show me uh, who's, uh, who's boss. Um, I am sorry, guys. Our next episode uh, will be Monday, September 5th. Uh, at uh, 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. Um, and uh, until next time, could you do it better? Yeah, this, <laughs> this, this outro, you definitely could. All right, guys. <laughs> Have a good evening. Oh. Yay. Oh.